Hey guys, my name is Danielle and you are listening to All Stitched Up, Words to Love By. Our first word of the week is uncomfortable. The truth is that our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy, or unfulfilled, for it is only in such moments propelled by our discomfort that we are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways or truer answers. That is a quote by M. Scott Peck. Today's word is uncomfortable, mainly because I am extremely uncomfortable listening to myself speak right now. It's been about nine months since I first felt called to start a podcast, and I continue to put it off for the very reason that I made I, it made me uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable hearing my own voice on audio, I am uncomfortable with technology, and I am uncomfortable with being vulnerable with complete strangers. But one thing I've learned in my 35 years of life is that growth in life don't come from just being comfortable. My comfort zone in my life has been pushed since I was a baby. At birth, I was born with a hole in my pulmonary valve, and um, the doctors told my parents that it was um, pretty normal for babies to be born with little murmurs, and that eventually um, it could possibly close up on its own. So um, they basically waited for anything to happen um, or for it to close, and when I was about a year and a half old, uh, my mom was feeding me and I started to turn blue. They took me to the hospital and that's when they um, discovered that I needed to have that um, that hole in my pulmonary valve re repaired. So I was 18 months old, went through open heart surgery to repair that valve and um, I guess the surgery went very well. I'm still here today. Um, my parents said that I was on a tricycle the very next day in the hallway and they couldn't keep me from um, just sitting still. So. Um, that was my first. Um, obviously, I don't remember that, so I can't really give myself a lot of credit for pushing through that one because I didn't really have a choice. But um, about 12 years later, um, when I was 13 years old, I was at school. Um, I was in eighth grade, and I remember being in class, and um, I had just been paired up with a student, another a boy for a class project, and um, I remember being kind of bummed that I had to partner with him because it I was not, he was kind of dorky, just keeping it real, but um, I remember thinking, oh man, this is going to be a hard project, and um, not knowing that moments later my life would be completely different. I remember turning the corner and um, suddenly feeling super dizzy, and I leaned on my friend Natasha, and I told her that I didn't feel good, that I felt dizzy. And that was the last thing that I remember for um, an entire week. Um, I went into full cardiac arrest. I was, um, my heart was stopped for about four minutes. Um, there were no teachers around at the moment that knew CPR and everybody was kind of trying to get the paramedics there and there was a ton of kids around me. Um, my principal was um, trying to get a hold of a, an ambulance so she was, trying to get all that figured out and um, a teacher who happened to be a homeroom teacher and a PE teacher she 
was supposed to be in her PE class across campus, like way across campus. And she forgot something in her other classroom. So she ran across campus and she came across me um, completely lifeless on the ground. And she started giving me CPR. She uh, didn't get my heart beating, but she kept oxygen to my brain. They, the paramedics arrived about four minutes um, from the time it happened till um, that moment they arrived was about four minutes. And so they um, did the, they shocked me. They, um, I actually don't really know. I can't tell you what they did because I wasn't like with it, obviously. But from what I have been told, they shocked me. They did the whole nine yards. They put me in the ambulance. They took me to Palomar Hospital, which is a local hospital here in Escondido. And when I came into that emergency room, a lot of the nurses and doctors knew who I was because my mom had worked there. And so um, I think that they were kind of um, in over their heads with what to do. So they uh, got a helicopter and life flighted me immediately to Children's Hospital. Um, they took me over to Children's um, and immediately I kept going in and out of um, cardiac arrest and they couldn't, um, they didn't know for about 24 hours whether or not I was gonna make it. So once I became stable the next day, um, they discovered that I have what's called long QT syndrome, which is a heart genetic heart disease. And it just basically causes my heart to um, miss a beat or just takes a really long pause. And so um, because of that, I am now have, I've had a pacemaker defibrillator since then. I'm on heart medication to help keep my heart beating regular. Um, I've been shocked a few times, um, but mostly because it was my fault. The first time I was shocked was when I was 18 and I was not taking my heart medication because it was making me tired and I honestly didn't believe at that point, it had been five years, and I didn't believe that I had a serious heart condition. I felt like it was a fluke thing that happened to me. So I decided to stop taking my heart medication by myself. and. I, it was my first day of beauty school. I was, uh, it was in September of 2003. I just graduated high school, was about to start beauty school. And I woke up and I remember my phone ringing, but I didn't feel good. And then I just like everything went black, but I thought that I had just fallen back asleep. And then when I woke up, I saw my mom was in my room trying to wake me up. And um, when I got up, I, I felt kind of off, but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want anyone to freak out and I definitely didn't want to miss my first day of beauty school. So I just went on with my day and went on with my, um, a couple of weeks after that. And then I had a follow-up appointment that like a regularly scheduled routine checkup, uh, probably in, I think it was like, like three or four weeks later. And when they checked my device, because it's a recorder, it records all activity, um, they were like, the doctor was like, uh, did you know that you had an episode on September 23rd? And I was like, uh, I kind of thought something happened, but I didn't want to uh, say anything again, because I was like, I'm gonna have to miss my first day of school. And this is, you know, so stupid on my part, but I got um, some serious discipline after that. They took away my license for six months. I couldn't drive. I was living in Escondido and had school in Oceanside, which is about a 30 minute distance. And it was 
my responsibility to figure out how I was going to get to and from school every day. Um, it was a lesson that I learned that was hard lesson, but, um, I, I realized that I did need the heart medication after all. So I, um, started taking it again regularly. I was, um, another time that I had been shocked was also my fault. It was really stupid. Once again, I it was the middle of the summer and, um, I decided I needed to do a colon cleanse. Um, when the bottle says to consult your doctor before doing anything like this, it probably is a good idea, especially if you have a heart condition. So I went ahead and did this colon cleanse. Well, um, I laid out in the sun that day, was not drinking enough water, and um, I depleted all of my electrolytes. And so I was actually taking a singing course at the time, and I had no voice, which was actually kind of funny and ironic at the same time. Um, I had no voice, and so I was up in front of my entire class as my teacher was telling me, you know, ways to take care of my voice using lemon and honey and all that stuff. And I started to get really, um, just, I started seeing stars and got dizzy and went to go lean on the couch and I just collapsed right there. Um, the, the pacemaker defibrillator shocked me and I was standing, so it knocked me to the ground. It was like getting kicked in the chest by a horse. And so it knocked me to the ground and it took a probably like a good 10 seconds for me to figure out what the heck just happened. And so then when I realized what happened, I told them that they needed to call 911, um, went into the hospital, stayed overnight, and they basically told me my potassium levels were low. So um, when my kids were freaking out and asking me what the doctor said, I told them that um, the doctor said I needed to eat more bananas. <laughs> so um, that's... That was a lesson learned as well. No more colon cleansing, at least not um, without making sure I'm rehydrating myself. So um, with the pacemaker defibrillator, I have to have surgery about every five to seven years um, to get the battery changed out because the battery dies. So um, my first change out was when I was 18 and um, that was that actually was shortly after um, I started beauty school because um, using shock, getting shocked actually uses a lot of battery. So it was already coming to an end. So I had to have surgery shortly after that to replace the pacemaker. And then um, another time was when I was, I believe it was in 2009. So I was 24. I think it was right around the same time that I just had my daughter, um, my youngest child. And um, I go in for surgery and at the time I was, even though I was 24 years old, I was still at Children's Hospital because uh, it was just, I felt more comfortable there because all the doctors knew my history and I'd been with the same doctor. So, um, but my doctor at the time was actually in the middle of a debate with some other doctors as to whether or not they should test the device on the patients before they close up the patients. And um, he was he felt like it was necessary because if they close the patient up and it doesn't work, then they will never know. And the other doctors were saying that it was actually really hard on the patient to shock them for no reason. So they were kind of against it. So I decided, I guess, to be the guinea pig. And I, um, they were done putting the pacemaker in and I was about to be closed up. And I guess I went into a funky rhythm with my heart and my device wasn't firing. 
And so then the doctors had to, um, they had to do something, obviously. I don't know, once again, because I was not awake for that. But they had to do something to get my heart going again. And that was my doctor's kind of like, see, I told you, like, if we would have closed her up and something would have happened, then she would have probably not made it. So, um, so I actually helped him test his theory, um, which gave me <laughs> better me than a two-year-old baby. So anyways, um, then a few years later, I had another pacemaker change. That was great. And then, um, as I got a little bit older, they, they kept telling me that my, um, so I actually have my birth, um, defect was, it's called Tritology of Fallot. And then that was, and then alongside of that, what happened at 13 is when they discovered I have long QT syndrome. So those are two actually very different. Um, they, they're really not connected. One is an electrical problem and the other one is like a plumbing problem. So it was just kind of, I got lucky twice, I guess. So because of both of those heart conditions, they really um, actually told me when I was about 13 or 14 that I probably wouldn't be able to ever have kids because um, it would be too much stress on my heart. So um, I kind of just had that in the back of my mind. And then um, as I got older and I started, I got married at 20. So, um, and then we decided that we wanted to start having kids shortly after that. So talking to my doctor, um, he felt that it was probably um, a good, it was a good idea for us to start trying because I was still young and I was able to um, have two successful um, pregnancies and healthy babies. But as I got older, they kept saying, um, I knew that the trichology of flow that I had repaired as a baby was probably going to need to be fixed um, as I got older because I was, um, it was very early on. When I had the first sur surgery, it was early on that they had started doing this. And so they didn't really know how long it would last and how old their patients would be before they would need it, it fixed again. And so as I was approaching um, 30 years old, I started to feel the symptoms and the signs. And they kept kind of saying, oh, you know, your heart looks fine. Okay, it looks fine right now. Let's just wait a little bit longer. Go ahead and have your baby and then have another baby. And um, every time I got pregnant, my heart grew a little bit um, just from pregnancy. So as I was um, getting older, I started noticing um, the symptoms of just, I was fatigued. I was, um, I couldn't even walk up a flight of stairs without feeling like I was going to pass out. And um, I started asking more questions with my doctor, like, what are my options with this? And they kept saying, um, oh, let's wait a little bit longer because they're coming out with a procedure that you can do it through catheter instead of an invasive invasive open heart surgery and of course that sounded way better to me and I had two small children and so I just kind of kept putting it off and then when I hit um, 30 years old is when I started to just it kind of became unbearable like it was hard for me to function I was really like scheduling my days around my nap times because I was always so tired um, I was uncomfortable because I was gaining weight and um, I just overall just felt unhealthy. And so they did, because I have a pacemaker and defibrillator, they can't do an MRI. 
So the only way to really check to see if I was a candidate for this um, catheter procedure was to put me um, under and do an exploratory catheter surgery. So they went in to see so that they could measure to see if the hole, what, like the size of the hole of the, the, um, on the heart, if it was fixable. And they said, if we can fix it, great. If not, then, you know, we'll let you know when we come out of the surgery and we'll plan the next step. So when I woke up from the surgery, um, they told me that they were unable to fix it, that the, um, this, the hole was too big and that the, the device that they had to fix it through catheter was not big enough to fill that hole. So um, a couple days later, I called and said, hey, I would really like to schedule my appointment for this surgery because I just want to get it done. Um, I'm tired of being tired. And they were like, oh, wait, actually, we just came out. They just came out with a new um, valve that can be done through catheter that our doc the doctor thinks might actually work for you. And although I was a little frustrated because they were literally just in there a couple days before, I was relieved because I thought, okay, great. I don't have to have open heart surgery. So they scheduled um, that, that um, catheter procedure and I went in and going into that surgery, I had a really um, just gut feeling that something was not gonna be right, that something was gonna go wrong in that surgery. And of course, I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to worry anybody. So I kind of just kept that to myself and just prayed my way through it. And um, it's kind of funny because the night before my surgery, I was working and I came home and on the, there's a bullet, like a little bulletin board in my kid's room. And they had ri written a bunch of um, things on there, like prayers. And one of them looked like it had been erased and it was from my daughter and who at the time, I think she was only seven or eight, seven maybe. And she kind of doesn't really have a filter. She told my husband to write, dear God, please don't let my mommy die. But he had erased it because he felt like it was just not um, appropriate for me to come home to see. But over it, it said something along the lines of like, dear God, please help my mommy's surgery to go well or something like that. But I had seen that he had erased it. And so I asked him, I'm like, what did, he, what did she say originally? And he told me. And in my mind, I was just like, yeah, that's a great prayer. Like, because I really was not like, I did not have a settling feeling about this whole surgery. And so the next morning um, we woke up and we went down to the hospital and um, they, I just still just kept praying and asking God to just whatever it is, just help him to get me through it. And so we go in and um, the balloon, so they, they put the valve in through the leg, through catheter and behind the valve is a balloon that helps put it in place. Well, the balloon after it was done being um, used was not deflating and it was putting pressure on my heart and so they kept um, they they were kind of like well what do we do now the doc doctor was kind of freaking out the proctor who was in the room um, supposed to know everything about the device was like I don't know this has never happened before and so my doctor had no choice but to um, rip the entire balloon fully inflated out of me um, to save my life because it was putting so much pressure that my heart rate was dropping 
they had to find somebody in the room, a big guy in the room to get on top of me and start giving me CPR. Um, and so when they pulled that out of me, um, they actually put a hole in my tricuspid valve. And so, um, I woke up from that surgery and just basically the, the, the doctor was kind of freaking out because I, they, I had gone a little bit of time without, um, oxygen and like my heart was dropped really low and it had stopped. And so she was kind of worried about any like damage to my brain. And so she extubated me pretty quickly and then she wanted me to start talking. And so I asked her, I don't remember this, but she told me that I asked her, um, if I gave her any problems during the surgery and she laughed and she said, uh, yeah, I, you did. It was kind of rough. And I said, oh, that's good. I just like to keep you guys on your toes. And so, um, I don't remember saying any of that, but that's what she told me. And so, um, after I was starting to wake up more, I remember feeling super, like my chest was super sore and I kept saying to my husband, like, I, I just don't feel good. Like my chest is really like sore. Is it normal for me to feel like this much pressure on my chest? And all I kept thinking was like, why does my chest hurt so bad? And so then, um, when the nurses came in, I asked them, um, if they, if it was normal for my chest to feel that way. And they were like, oh, well, you know, yeah, after you get compressions, that's a normal feeling. And I was like, compressions, what? And so we were kind of like, what is going on? Like, how come we didn't know? We, we didn't really know anything at this point. And so then when, um, my, uh, all of a sudden I was getting a, they were doing an echocardiogram and I felt, I started hearing a siren, an alarm. And I like, asked the nurse, I'm like, do you hear that? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I think it's coming from my chest. And she was like, I think you're right. And so we were laughing because, um, none of us, none of us, even the nurses were like, we've never even heard this before. This is really crazy. So when your device, when my device fires, it will actually send, um, an alarm that will go off like every couple minutes until somebody resets the, the defibrillator so that it could, it's pretty much like just telling you like, Hey, something's not right here. So, um, I also in that time was, um, feeling really nauseous. And so I, they gave me some Zofran and, um, within a couple minutes of taking the Zofran, my face swelled up and I looked at my husband and I was like, do I, does my face look weird? And he's like, Oh my gosh, I think you're having an allergic reaction. So, um, needless to say that entire surgery did not go well. Um, I woke up, um, the next morning and the doctor came, the doctor who did the surgery came in and she then was able to explain to us a little bit more of what had happened. And she was really shaken up by it because she never experienced that before. And so she, um, just wanted to explain herself to me and tell us what had actually happened in that OR. After the doctor um, was done explaining herself, it was um, kind of disturbing, but at the same time, I think my husband and I were just like, okay, well, thank God that's past us. And she reassured us that everything was fine, that all the x-rays and um, the echocardiogram, everything looked good. And that um, the hoping that the tricuspid valve that they'd put a hole in would just repair on its own, like a regular cut wood on your body. And so we just kind of went on with our life and was just thankful that I was still alive. 
Um, I had a couple of weeks of probably feeling really, really good where I felt like I had a lot of energy, but then um, I slowly started to feel a little um, less energy and I was having a lot of stomach problems and but I did not even think for a second that it was my heart. It, I just thought, oh, something else is going on. So I tr tried changing my diet. I tried working out. I, I tried so many things, but wasn't getting any um, positive results. And so um, one day I was going to, it was probably about a year and a half after I went in for that operation. And I went into my electrophysiologist and he listened to my heart and he asked me, um, have you had a follow-up with the other doctor for your valve? And I said, well, I haven't seen her in over a year. And um, he's like, well, I think you should make that appointment. And I was like, okay. I didn't really think anything of it even when him, with him saying that because I just thought like, oh, my heart's fixed. You know, I'm good. So then they scheduled me with um, my cardiologist about probably like a month later. I went in for like the whole workup, had x-rays, echocardiogram, um, I think I might have even had like a stress test at the time too. And um, I was there for about four hours and my son was with me because he didn't have school that day. And so it was a really long day. And so it was, I had got all the tests done and we were waiting for the doctor to come into the room, but she was taking a really long time. I think she was in this, in a surgery or something. And I told, after like 30 minutes of waiting, my son was hungry and I was like, I told the nurse, I said, I'm going to go and the doctor can just call me. She can just call me with, you know, the test results because I really didn't believe that there was anything wrong with me. And so she was like, okay, I guess that will work. And so we left, we went downstairs at Children's Hospital to Subway and got my son some food. And when I was in line, the doctor called me and she said, where did you go? And I said, I left I had to go I had to get my son home he's hungry like just she was like well you need to come back I need to examine you like every test that you had came back abnormal like we need to figure out what's going on and I was like okay so I ran back upstairs and got um met with her in the room and she just told me you know she was kind of panicking she's like did you have any falls recently did you ha have you gotten any tattoos, which I don't know what that has to do with anything, but she was like asking me all these questions. I was like, no, like nothing's changed. Everything's fine. Like what, what's going on? And then she said that, um, she needed to talk to some other doctors and they were going to come up with a plan as to like what we needed to do next. And so when I got home, I was able to finally process it. And I was like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Does this mean that I have to have another surgery? And so I was just trying to um, process it all. And then I went to, the next day I think I called the doctor and was like, okay, now that I've processed all of this, like what what's actually going on? And she said that the tricuspid valve that they'd put a hole in was leaking profusely. She said my um, pulmonary valve that they'd put the, the original valve in was not work, that valve wasn't working, it was leaking a lot too. And just everything looked like it was not work functioning properly and so they really wanted to um, do a um, schedule me to have open heart surgery to fix everything. I started to just go over like all my symptoms in my head and just be like oh my gosh like that all makes sense why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and I totally probably do have a problem with my heart and so um, we went back that was in it was in September of 2017 
and um, that they found the problem that it I had um, a leak again. And so um, I was like, okay, let's just get the surgery done. Let's, you know, schedule it. So I called the doctor and um, she had told me that they were on, she was on a team of other doctors and they were trying to decide like how to go about it. And they were trying to decide if they wanted to keep me at Children's Hospital or if they wanted to have me go somewhere else. And so um, they just kind of like kept letting it go and go and I was getting worse and worse. Like literally by the week I was getting worse and worse with my symptoms, probably more so because I was aware that something was wrong. And so I just started really noticing, noticing the symptoms that were getting worse. And so, um, uh, in December, they decided to tell me that I needed to go to UCSD instead to get the surgery and that they had a team of doctors that they were like working with and all those doctors over at UCSD were going to be working with my doctors at Children's Hospital so that they could all be on the same page. And when they had me go in for a CT scan to check my valve, um, they found a lump on my breast. And so then when I got that call that said, oh, hey, by the way, first thing before we have fix your heart, like we got to get this lump checked out because, you know, we don't know what it is. And and they made it seem like, no big deal, just go get it checked. And I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't sound like Crump promising at all. But somehow, like, in that moment, it was like I shifted my mind from like, oh my gosh, I have to have open heart surgery, to, okay, I just really pray that I don't have breast cancer. And if I don't have breast cancer, then I just have to have open heart surgery. So, great, right? So I went through the, all the steps of, I had a mammogram, I had to have a biopsy of the, the lump on my breast, and um, it was probably like a two or three week period of time, like not knowing what it was. And so um, when they called me a couple days before Christmas and told me that it was just a, um, a fibroid, that it was nothing to be worried about, I was so relieved and I was like, okay, I can do this, I can have open heart surgery. And so, um, so they scheduled my surgery for um, March 8th, um, and so actually they originally scheduled it for the end of February, but then they had to cancel it, and anyways, that was really hard too, because I was really, really prepared for that date, and then they pushed it out two more weeks, and that was made it really difficult, but um, so going up into that surgery, I just um, kept thinking to myself, like, all right. I've already used up like three lives. So like, God, how many lives can one person actually have? And I don't have a very good history of having easy, successful surgery. So um, I just, you know, around Christmas time, I just kept thinking like, is this, could this be my last Christmas with my kids? Like everything that was happening in that amount of time was just my body in my mind was just like, is this the last time? Like, Am I going to be alive next year this time? Like I just kept working through my brain and just trying to process it. And then I was being really ridiculous and started like Googling outcomes of this surgery. And that's not a really good idea to do. So I don't suggest that because Google doesn't know anything. So um, I just kept um, praying about it. I had a ton of people praying for me. I mean, I had like people that I didn't even know that were reaching out to me, just like saying that they were praying for me. And so 
when I went in for that surgery, the day, the day before um, that surgery, my parents had hosted a little prayer gathering at their house and they told me that they were going to do that, but I thought it was just going to be a few people. And when I walked into that house, the whole living room was just full of people. And it was incredible because I just felt like almost like every single one of them had lifted the weight off of me and were carrying it for me. And it just helped me feel so much less um, pressure the night going to bed that night, um, preparing for my open heart surgery the next day. So that morning on March 8th, um, I woke up pretty actually surprisingly like comfortable. Like I guess I is the only word I could say is that I just had a lot of comfort knowing that I had so many people praying for me and I just felt like going into that room. I felt like the team of doctors had really done their research and um, I met with a bunch of different doctors before leading up to that. And so I just felt really confident that this was going to be a great surgery and um, that morning. And so I went into the surgery and um, came out of it and um, it was finished. The surgery was finished. My heart was doing well. They had to repair the tricuspid valve. They replaced the pulmonary valve with a cow valve, which is why I have the moo at the beginning of my podcast. And, um, and then they had to give me a new pacemaker defibrillator and all new leads to my pacemaker. So it was a really, it was kind of a complex surgery. It was a huge surgery and, um, all of my leads to my pacemaker and defibrillator from before were like all like, um, calcified and from the blood leaking and the valve that they had put in with the balloon was mutilated. It was like they'd showed me a picture of it and it was just like, oh my gosh, how how did I live through having all of that in my chest for almost two years? And so it was actually a pretty big miracle that nothing happened in that time period because things were pretty bad. Um, so once I woke up from the surgery, I had no idea that I was about to encounter the worst pain of my life, but um, it was hard. It was a very hard surgery to overcome. Um, So now I'm almost two years post open heart surgery and um, my physical strength has improved tremendously and I can probably say that I'm in the best shape of my life, but the physical self-improvements didn't come easy nor did they come pain-free. About five weeks after my surgery, I went in for a follow-up with my cardiologist. I was still in um, so much pain, and my surgeon told me that I shouldn't be in as much pain at that point. He said, most of my patients are pain-free by five weeks, and all I can think in my head was, well, do you mostly operate on superheroes? Because I have no idea how that statement is true. I'm sure... Um, that most of my pain was probably coming from the fact that this was the fourth time my sternum had um, had been broken or injured. Um, once with the open heart surgery at birth and then the um, two episodes that I required CPR. Um, but I was still frustrated with myself for not being further along in my recovery. The only suggestion my doctor had, um, other than continuing the ridiculous constipating pain meds, 
was to get out and walk every day. I could barely get out of bed every day, um, so the thought of walking seemed daunting, but um, I did it. The next day, I walked half a mile, and little by little, day by day, I walked um, my way up to three miles. By June, three months after the surgery, I was back in the gym and haven't stopped since then. The push was a challenge. However, if I didn't push myself every day, I would have never seen the growth or results I have today. My journey has not um, only been overcoming physical discomfort, but emotional discomfort as well. There is um, nothing comfortable in one's mind after dodging death, um, not just one time, but several times. It's comforting to know that clearly I am here still for a purpose, but what is incredibly uncomfortable is knowing that I live with a heart disease called long QT syndrome, and that disease can take my life and at any moment with um, no signs of it coming. So I have uh, made the mistake of Googling, as I've said before, Googling long QT, um, and quickly then reminding myself that there are some things better left unknown, and the term um, ignorance is bliss makes sense sometimes. Unfortunately, we cannot live a life fully in an ignorance is bliss mentality, although I believe some people try to, but then they lack the bliss part, and then the phrase just changes to ignorance is stupid. The word ignorant describes a person in a state of being unaware and can describe individuals who are unaware of important facts and information. The fact of life is that challenges will create an uncomfortable moment, season, or atmosphere, but ignoring them or not pushing through them on your own specifications will give power to the challenge or the challenger. Comfort can cause us to become bored, selfish, and discontent, none of which results in growth. So as we become uncomfortable in life, let's shift our thinking from why me, God, to teach me how to grow in this. So um, giving that whole story about um, my just background and my heart situation and everything, um, it comes to the point of why I named my podcast All Stitched Up. So about nine months ago, like I said before, um, I had, God had put it on my heart to do the podcast because I like to write and I like to, um, I hear from, from God and then I just put it out there and, and post it either on Facebook or Instagram or wherever I want to. And, um, he just put it on my heart and was like, you should do a podcast. Actually, I think it was because I was, we, my husband and I drove to Texas, to Dallas, and it was a really long trip and we were listening to podcasts and I was actually inspired by um, Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, what's his name, is it Dak Shepard? Yeah, I think so, her husband. So they were actually my influences, which I don't know, it's kind of cool. But um, so after deciding that, I told my husband and then I was like, a couple weeks later, I was like, I don't think anybody really wants to hear what I have to say, so maybe I just won't do it. And um, then we were going to church a couple weeks later and there was a day that they had the youth take over. So the youth completely ran the church, like 
from the second you got to church to going into the building to the kids being taken care of to the the whole worship band was all the kids. It was really cool. And so one of the kids, the little there's a little young girl, she was probably around I don't know, like 11 or 12. She came up to me and she said, I have a prophetic word for you. And I was like, oh, awesome. What is it? And so she handed it to me and it was a picture of a heart that was broken and it had a needle and a thread. And um, inside of it said, your words have the power to heal others. And I looked at her and I was like, do you know my story? Do you know anything about me? And she's like, no. And I was like, you have no idea how much this just confirmed like that God, what God put on my heart. And she was just like, okay. And I went and I showed a couple people um, at church, like, look at what my prophetic word was. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, that is so crazy. That is just like so perfect. And so, um, so then when I decided to finally do it, that is um, why I came up with all stitch, all stitched up because it was something that was a, you know, came from that prophetic word from that young girl. I think her name was Claire. Um, so yeah, that's how I came up with the name. And so it's kind of a, my history of my heart. I'm sure I left, left out a lot of details, but it's already a really long podcast. So, um, now the next, um, segment of my, uh, podcast is going to be, um, words of affirmation with flower essences And so I will have my daughter and my son, that's going to be their little portion of my podcast. It's going to be called Guns and Gooeys, Flower and Words of Affirmation. So I'm going to hand that over to them and I'm going to let them um, share with you what that is. What did I tell you you were going to do on my podcast? Oh, oh. our day. No, no, do that the box Mm-hmm. Do the what? The box flower. It's a box flower. No idea what a box flower is. Really? Box flower? Welcome to Guns and Gooey's Flower Essences and Words of Affirmations. Flower Essences are exquisitely refined herbal infusions, acting as nature's liquid messengers of inner health and harmony. They are highly effective, non-toxic herbal preparations that address core issues of wellness, especially emotions, stress, mental attitudes, spiritual values, and life purposes, and life purpose. Bringing balance in these areas is a major factor in developing sound mind body health. These essences, can be employed in a variety of contexts, from home health care to professional practice. It speaks flower essence to go along with the word uncomfortable is mimulus. Patterns of imbalance, over-exaggerated concern for daily life events, extreme oppression, Apprehension. Apprehension of new thresholds of experience. Positive quote. Courage and confidence to face life's challenges. Radiant light. 
that shines outward to the world. The Mimulus words of affirmation are, I act with courage and inner strength. I recognize each difficulty and, and as an opportunity for growth. I look forward to each new experience of life. Well, that's a wrap for episode one of All Stitched Up on the word uncomfortable, which was very fitting because it was uncomfortable from beginning to end. But I hope that my words were encouraging and I hope that next week you will join us on week two with the word vision. Romans 5 verse 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God lo- God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been su- who has been given to us.